Your state. Your team. Your show. This is Sports Nightly. 20 seconds on the possession. Nebraska by three. The drive by Mack. Weak side. Dunk by Cross. Another dime. Dropped beautifully by Cam Mack into the hands of Kevin Cross. Cross is played magnificently. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Oh, yeah, we're ready for another weekend. Super Bowl weekend. Big Sunday coming up for Chiefs and 49ers. They get ready to duel Super Bowl 54 in Miami. Talk a lot about it here on the program tonight. Todd Lebo, our good friend from... 810 WHB in Kansas City. He's been in Miami all week covering the festivities. He's going to join us from near South Beach a little bit later on in the hour. Hour number two, head basketball coach Fred Hoiberg had a press conference today. Huskers, this time tomorrow night, will be tipping it up against the Penn State Nittany Lions. We'll get the coach's take about this matchup against the Penn State team. It's had a really good season. Nationally ranked, coming off a win the other night. Um... So we'll hear about the Penn State Indian Lions from head coach Fred Hoiberg in hour number two. Ian Rappaport, the NFL Network, always stops by on Friday nights. This will be his last stop by for us for a while. Uh, so we'll hear from him, get his take on the uh, matchup between the Chiefs and the Niners. Our third hour, we'll have our weekend preview. We'll reveal some Super Bowl prop bets, which are always kind of fun to dive into and see what's out there. Some of the imagination, some of these sports books and what you could have. Uh, Lay a little coin down on. We'll have our week in reviewing our winners and losers for the week. And as always, phone lines open for you at 866-HUSKER-1, 866-487-5371, the number if you want to dial us up with a comment or a question. Well, I want to start tonight by talking about a story from Dennis Dodd of CBSSports.com. We talked about Dennis last night on the program. He had a, had a list of... Now he kind of graded out. The, wait, he he graded out the coaching hires from the off season. Gave out a lot of A's. Tonight he's got a story about the Big Ten Conference has created a proposal that would allow every student athlete to tr- have a one-time transfer within their careers without having to sit out a season. Currently, Ben, there are only five sports where you, if you transfer, you have to sit. Men's and women's basketball are two of the five. Football, hockey, baseball. Not volleyball. Volleyball you can transfer. You don't have to sit out at all. Unless those, you're Bree Holman. <laughs> correct. But even even if we've as we've seen, I, I mentioned football, but is, people have been challenging that, and a lot of them are getting waved on in. Justin Fields, a prime example of that, the quarterback at Ohio State said that he had some racist comments thrown at him at Georgia. That's why he needed to leave. That's why he was allowed to go to Ohio State and be eligible immediately. Well, Michigan AD Ward Manuel's kind of carrying the, the water on this thing. Um, he said he just believes this is the right thing to do. He goes, I don't know who's going to freak out and who's not going to freak out. That doesn't come into my thinking about this. The Big Ten m- made this proposal – Uh, to the NCAA, but the board of directors for the NCAA put a one-year hold on this. They want to study it more before they bring it before one of their bodies to vote on this. So it's not going to get voted on for at least a year. So we're not going to – this is not going to be in effect for a year. 
Uh, But the Big Ten certainly carries a big hammer with this. The Michigan AD said, we need to give all of our young people the flexibility to transfer once. If they do it a second time, there is no waiver for that. The, the, The good point and the point that would be strong for this argument, Ben, is that if it's okay to do it in golf and tennis and swimming and volleyball and, and those sports, just because the other ones make money, you don't want them to be able to have the same freedoms as some of the other students. That's a fair point. I mean, if some student athletes, wrestlers, track and field, if they can do it and not be penalized, why are you penalizing football and basketball players? My response to that would be the – and I'm not sure which side of the argument this falls on, but if you're if you're comparing the recruitment of high school golfers to the recruitment of high school football players, not it, it's saying rights, yeah, rights. Yeah, I understand that, but I, I think I think to me the the scales of of how different the sports are deserve to have the right to be looked at differently. Not a different necessarily a different set of rules, but since they're so different and, and and one of them you know requires you know multiple multiple hours and visits and travel to find out there's a lot more that goes into it than than there there is in, another, in other particular sports um i feel like the one thing that that this rule would do is it would eliminate the bias it would eliminate the gray area it would eliminate the the wonder um the subjectivity of of the waiver wire and i and i kind of feel like this is where the big 10 is stepping in um or at least you know certain departments because if you're one of those schools that have had three or four of these waiver claims denied and you look at other schools in the country and they've had three or four of these waiver claims accepted you're not really required to get a, a rationale or a reason by the NCAA. Now, sometimes they do they do give you those, but other times they don't. They just say waiver denied. Um, so I think the subjectivity to this is part of the reason why so many of the people are saying, you know, we've been we've been on the short end of this stick while we've wa- watched other schools benefit from basically having this rule in place already. <clears throat> Ohio State, you know, I th- I feel like there are a lot of other schools that are wanting it to be fair and to say, well, if we've got guys that want to come into our program, why should our kids have to sit and wait for a year while other places they tend to, to just get this, you know, free pass. And I think to me, that's where my mind goes is we've had so many situations and cases that just don't make any sense uh, from the NCAA when it comes time to transfers. And if you're required to sit out and if you're not that, it's not surprising to me that these situations have, have come up um, of people wanting to just make this a wholesale rule. Now, to me, the fallout to this, I feel like every time we want to put in place these types of rules, we don't anticipate the fallout from it. Or, or what? that's the first domino. What are the other dominoes or loopholes that are going to come with this? And, and a lot of times we don't know what that fallout is until two, three, four years after this rule is put into place. And when I say fallout, you know, I, I think of the situation now of, you know, if you are allowed to transfer and 
for free, pretty much with no penalty. Everybody's a free agent all at all times. Unless you've already burned up your, your transfer, everybody's phone lines open. There's going to be under-the-table conversations had, maybe not by the student-athlete themselves, but you better believe, you know, handlers, AAU coaches, high school coaches, parents, uncles, cousins are going to be hearing from schools, hey, you know, uh, we saw your son ran for 1,400 yards and 17 touchdowns here at Blank State University in the SEC. We just lost a running back in the first round of the NFL draft. Do you think your son might be interested in being the next first-round NFL draft pick? Well, now that we've seen that he can do it at this level, he was a bit of a he was a bit of a risk coming out of high school. We weren't quite sure we wanted to offer him that scholarship, but now we saw that you know he's added 25 pounds. He can maintain a, a college GPA. He can live away from home. All these concerns that we had about him coming out of high school, we know that are now answered him in college. Feel free to come on over here. I, I 100% wholeheartedly believe this is a blue blood enriching situation, and um, I, I I don't I don't know I feel like the idea of equality comparing this to other sports is so minimal compared to what type of impact this is going to have. This is going to impact college football, college basketball, college baseball a hell of a lot more than it's going to impact college golf. Well, they're the revenue producing sports. Yeah, that and that's why the rule is currently in place because. There's a lot of money involved in this. I told you that Ward Manuel of Michigan is kind of carrying the weight on this thing. Jim Harbaugh, after media days last July, tweeted out, my belief is that a one-time transfer should be allowed for all student-athletes. I'm clearly advocating for the rights for college football players that they have not had. The MAC commissioner, John Steinbrecher, who is kind of the chair of the NCAA Transfer Committee, says they're continuing to study the subject. Clearly, there is a concern over the waiver process. There is a lack of predictability. That goes back to your thing about mm-hmm. why does this athlete get cleared and this athlete doesn't. Uh, for any array of reasons, it can't be transparent, legal, or otherwise. So they're going to study it for the next, again, this is, this is something that wouldn't go into effect until 2021, which is a year from now. But the the tra- the yes, you can play, no, you can't play is very frustrating, incredibly hard to understand. There makes no sense to it. You have Justin Fields, who I mentioned felt like he was being picked on racially in Georgia, allowed to play. You have a, a, a tight end from Georgia whose grandmother is terminally ill. He wanted to go back to Illinois near his hometown so that he could be near his grandmother who raised him. And he, he was not given immediate clearance to play. And so you're kind of going, well, okay, well, why is this story a little bit more of a sob story than that story? Or it just doesn't make much sense. So they need to clean it all up. I don't know that this is the right way to go about it either. Well, I don't either. And, and the, the, here's the hypocrisy in this whole thing, Greg, is we want to make this reason. And, I, and I'm assuming most people listening and, and that have read that article are, are of the idea that the main reason why is because the unpredictability of the waivers, right? I mean, if there are, there are probably other reasons, but this is probably the main reason for other schools claiming for this to be a thing. The problem with this is the reason why we're unhappy with it are the decisions that the NCAA is making on these waivers. Correct. So now we're going to put it, this vote into the hands of the same organization that screwed this up in the first place to make this all better. You think that's really going to 
make it better. You know, having them legislate a, a new big time decision about this, it's not going to I don't I don't really feel like it's going to help. It's going to make things worse. Instead, if if the NCAA was a smart organization, they'd look at this and go, you know what? We feel like this is a little extreme. How about we come up with a list of criteria points that make this waiver situation black or white? Do you are you under this criteria or are you not? If the answer is no, you're sitting out. If the answer is yes, we'll grant you a waiver. I feel like it's if you if you come up with a list of criteria that can be proven by your compliance departments, by other, you know, that they kind of do already when they submit the waivers, this would eliminate this problem. Were you okay with the graduate transfer rule? Yes, because that student put in four years. They got their education. Okay. They, they met the requirements needed at a, at a particular university. To me, they earn that right. You spend four years and you earn your education. Fulfilling, you, I basically look at it, you fulfilled your scholarship. You fulfilled your four-year scholarship by taking care of what you needed to on and off the field. Most coaches, and I know I quoted Harbaugh on here, most coaches that I talk to don't want this at all because they just know it could be a free-for-all and that you're going to have to just protect your own home. You're going to have to protect your four walls. And some people will say, well, that's a good thing. Well, is it? Do you have any ability to discipline? Do you have any ability to kind of keep your team on a short leash or keep them under control if all they have to do is go, yeah, you didn't treat me very well in that Tuesday practice in October, so I'm going. I'm out of here. I'm going to go to Iowa and play yeah, for them. No doubt. And and the reason why it's completely different with a grad transfer is there's a grad transfer portal. Everybody knows at the same exact time that that player is available. Right. Nebraska, USC, San Diego State, North Texas, Delaware, they all know that, okay, this player, this player is fair game. If you've got things going under the table, if you've got an AAU coach or a quarterback's coach or you know somebody that you worked out with in high school, that's kind of your quote-unquote handler seems to be the word everyone throws around. If Alabama or USC or Texas, they're the only ones, you know, if you're not a grad transfer and if, and if you're looking for that one-time free waiver, not everybody knows that your player's up for grabs. And so it's it's really at the mercy of whoever wants to reach out to the people within that player's inner circle and take that initial step because you know there are programs that will cross that line, and there are also a handful of programs that would never cross that line. Right. So it's unfair. A grad transfer is fair to everybody. They know that player is going to be available based on the requirements, the graduation, and them submitting their name into the portal. You wonder what would happen to the transfer portal if this – gets passed because the same because the transfer portal now you don't have to ask for permission from your coach to put your name in it but you still know you more than likely are going to have to sit out a year my guess is the transfer portal would still stay but man as a coach you're going to be going all right monitor the portal today and see if uh john doe put his name in there we're gonna make sure none of our guys want to get out of here and we have to try to re-recruit him to get him back on our team i mean uh, Greg, I'm imagining a scenario, and this is good. Uh, this would happen where college coaches or whoever's in charge would look at a kid. Okay, we were in the final three of this five stars recruiting process, right? He chose to go to this school. We were one of the final hats on the table. He was real. We thought he was coming here, but he's not. You know, we're we're noticing in box scores and, and in reports and you know people tweeting at practice that you're he's not getting reps don't seem to be injured grades seem to be okay why why is this why is this guy not playing maybe it's worth a phone call to see 
you know, is he happy there? Like, there was that kid that, that had that situation where he committed to USC, decommitted to USC, committed to Texas, then transferred back to USC before he'd even played a snap. Right. You know, yeah. like things that that type of stuff is going to happen with this to where, you know, you've got guys probably on your staff on, in your recruiting office monitoring the happiness of players that you recruited that committed elsewhere. Like just how crazy does that sound? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a to me it's opening Pandora's box, but we'll see again. It's a, at least a year away from happening, but a pretty good reporting by Dennis Dodd of CBSSports.com if you want to go check out that. We're two days away from the Super Bowl. The Chiefs and the 49ers. Our good friend Todd Lebo of 810 WHB in Kansas City has been in Miami all week long covering the festivities. Leaps, great to have you with us. How's it been? Are you exhausted? Has it been fun? What, what's it been like? The radio row is always hectic, and it's even more hectic when your team's involved. <laughs> so we've added uh, not the fact, just the fact that we have, uh, you know, a couple of three shows down here doing their business. We covered the team, you know, opening night you went to, and then a press conference on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. So there's been a lot of time on shuttle buses. Been a lot of time in Ubers. <laughs> Miami's not the greatest layout in the world for this because uh, there's an ocean on one side of this. So everything starts. We're we're near the ocean on Radio Row, so everything's got to kind of fan out from there. Nothing super close, but you can't really have anyone complain about having fun at the Super Bowl, right? You come down here to work, and we're on the downhill side of that. So Saturday and Sunday will be a lot of fun, and Sunday should be really great because uh, it's going to be exciting to have the Chiefs in the Super Bowl for the first time in 50 years. No doubt. You've covered World Series with the Royals, Final Fours with KU. What, what is this just even a bigger scale thing because the Chiefs are in it? Yeah, I think it really is. You know, the World Series was obviously a big deal, but there were so many games, right? It was like, you know, you, you would go to games and another game like 12 hours later, and then they go to another city, they play again. So this is different because it's such a buildup. You know, they haven't played by the time they have the Super Bowl. They won't want to play two weeks. That's a lot of time to uh, sit and dis- discuss a game and break it down and all that bit. So it is a, a lot of buildup. The NFL likes it that way. They like, you know, they like the build up. They like to ramp this up. And as uh, the weekend approaches here, you know, today we've seen a lot more people running around. A lot of folks from Kansas City and the Chiefs Kingdom, as they call it, will be arriving today and tomorrow for this game. So the build up is definitely big. And the NFL runs runs America, right? As far as the sports go, so you can't get bigger than the Super Bowl, and you certainly can't get bigger than the Chiefs being in it for the first time in 50 years with the reigning MVP, which he won't be by the time the Super Bowl happens because NFL honors is tomorrow night. I'm sure Lamar Jackson is going to win that, but you, you, uh, you couldn't find a Chiefs uh, fan in the world who would trade Patrick Mahomes away. Leaves, are, are you seeing many Chiefs alums, the former players that have made their way to Miami to support the team and the franchise? Absolutely. And, and, you know, just today, the last couple of days on radio road, Dante Hall has been down here. Neil Smith, Carl Peterson was down here. Um, who else? We know Brandon Flowers, former cornerback. He's doing some more broadcasting things now. Nick Lowry, the old kicker. And there will be more and more as we go. Uh, there were so many who came back to the playoff games and the championship games that are everywhere. And there's even more who will try to get down here. It's, it's a lot of fun. And, and, you know, there's so much pride in this organization. And, they, you know, sometimes we kind of make fun because they're very they have all this pride. But, they haven't won anything yeah. in forever. So they really want something to be proud about, and there's people certainly excited about this. Fans, 
alums, former coaches. It was interesting. I guess it was Thursday afternoon. We were down here doing our work on Radio Row. We looked up, and Gary Pinkle, the old Missouri coach, was here. He'd never been to the Super Bowl. And he was down here with his wife, and, and we started talking to him. And he was just beside himself how excited he was that the Chiefs were in the Super Bowl. He still lives in the state of Missouri, lives down in the Lake of the Ozarks in Columbia. And now there's only one team in the state, right? There's no reason to sit there and try to act like you like the St. Louis Rams. He loves watching Mahomes play, and he's down here to watch it. He's excited, too. And Clint Boyer, the NASCAR driver from Emporia, we had him on the radio. He's fired up. You know, he's like he's going to – he doesn't know what will happen to him if they win. They may not catch him, he said. So everyone's fired up about this in the whole middle of America. Well, I know it's been 50 years for the Chiefs. It's been a while for the Niners, too. So really there isn't there isn't a big advantage either way, is it, for experience for this game? Yeah, you know, the Niners were here. They lost to the Ravens, what was that, the 2013 season? Yeah, is that right? Yeah. No, yes. No, they lost, yeah. The they hardball battle. And, yeah, so – They've been here. They've got a few more guys on the team that have played in. The only the, it, experience the Chiefs have in the Super Bowl is Terrell Suggs, who's been a Chief for all of a month, right? <laughs> and Stefan Wisniewski, who was a kind of a you know interior lineman who didn't play all the time for the Eagles when they won a couple of years ago. And he wasn't on the team until like October. So they started this year with no one who had been a Super Bowl winner or even played in the game. The Chiefs are a very young team far as that goes you know Andy Reid of course coached in one Eric the enemy played in one as a player Steve Spagnuolo the defensive coordinator has won a Super Bowl as an assistant coach and been involved and, you know Andy Reid was on a staff that won one as an assistant back in the day with Green Bay but they don't have a lot of experience but the Niners have a little bit more than the Chiefs for sure and you talk to anyone you want down here and a lot of Niners fans think they're going to blow the Chiefs out which you know they the Chiefs just don't get blown out right they could be down 24 maybe win but a lot of people, we'll have to see what all the experts say when it actually comes time to make their picks. But I hear a lot of confidence out of the Niners down here, but there's plenty of Chiefs fans who are confident as well. Todd Lebo's with us from 810 WHB in Kansas City. He's been in Miami covering the Super Bowl all week. Chiefs and Niners coming up on Sunday uh, for it all in the NFL. How, what kind of game do you expect to see? I mean, the, the odds makers haven't moved. That line hasn't moved at all since it came out. What are you expecting on Sunday? I think it'll, I mean, I these are the two best teams in the league, right? So I think this will be a good game, right? I think this is going to be hard fought. I don't think you're going to hold the Chiefs down in the teens or something like that. They seem to be able to get to 30, even when they play poorly, right? So I think the Chiefs are going to get in that, in that 30 range. And I think the Niners are going to score because they, they find ways to do it. They can really run the ball well. But I see this, you know, in that 31, 34, something like that for the Chiefs, and then 27 to 30 for the Niners. Turnovers will probably be a pretty big key, as they generally are. The Chiefs can afford to be a minus turnover team and win games. They've done that before. I don't think you want to do that against this bunch, right? And I certainly don't think you want to fall down two or three scores to this to this team because they do run the ball well. And, uh, and if they can control the clock, Kyle Shanahan's a very good young coach. He, he has got a lot of respect around the league as an innovator on offense, just as, as Andy Reid does. So this really is kind of a young gun against an old gun, but they, they do a lot of the same kind of things and how they attack people on offense. Uh, I'm excited about the matchup. I think we have a really, really good matchup. This should be a good game, not like that bad game they had last year, 13-3 to between the Patriots and the Rams. Leibs, you, you've been there since Sunday. I think the teams both arrived on Sunday. Do you, have you seen the teams, the players out and about much, or do they, do they sequester them in the one. hotels? 
I haven't haven't seen a one. And every we didn't get to talk to him today. Our last availability was was Thursday yesterday. And I, everyone I talked to, I said, "You've been out. What have you done?" And they're like, "Nah, you know, kind of. They're they're not staying down in you know downtown Miami or the South Beach area. They're at the if I'm sure some people have come down to Miami and played golf at this Turnberry Resort, the Marriott property." That's where the Chiefs are. It's not super close to downtown. You have to make an effort to come down there. And they're taking this as pretty much a business trip. Now, many of their families showed up today. So maybe we'll see some people out and about today or tomorrow. But I haven't seen anybody who's a Chiefs player. And I've gone out, you know, okay, Sharpie, we've been out and about. I haven't seen anybody who is a, uh, a Chiefs player or coach out anywhere other than in the meeting room where we got to talk to them all. Not saying they haven't been out. But the ones I've talked to, they're they're getting down to business, and they'll probably blow a little steam off tonight, maybe. But they'll it'll be all business tomorrow night. Now, Todd, if I do kind of a, a search on some social media sites, am I going to see pictures of you in some South Beach establishment from the week, or have you been tamed? No, well, maybe. They, <laughs> my birthday is actually Saturday. Oh, great! So we had we went to dinner last night, many of us from our station, and and it, even though I insisted I didn't want any dessert, they convinced them it was my actual birthday, which it wasn't yesterday. So I know Stephen St. John sent out a video of them singing to me on his Snapchat, but I'm not encouraging anyone to follow Stephen St. John, our morning show host, on Snapchat. That's probably not good for your health. <laughs> but, yeah, we, we weren't out too late, but we did go out and have a nice dinner and uh, ate too much dessert for sure. Well, we appreciate you joining us. Happy early birthday to you. Have fun. Enjoy the rest of the week down there. I know it's exhausting, but, uh, hey, you may never, never get to do it again with the Chiefs. You never know. You never know, Greg. That's right. Enjoy it while you can. Huskers back on the court tomorrow night at PBA, 6 o'clock. Love that. Saturday night basketball at PBA. Love that. It's going to be fun. Penn State in town. The Nittany Lions having a heck of a year. They got a midweek win over Indiana, which improved their record to 5-4 and four in the league and 15-5. and five. Overall, Pat Chambers having a really good season in State College. Fred Hoiberg met with the media today after the Huskers practice as they get ready for this one and He's still uh, still upbeat. I think he's still, you know, I know he he's knowing it's getting a little harder with the guys now in the midst of a six-game skid. Yeah, no doubt. And obviously, they they're, they're the ones in charge of keeping the keeping the attitude good and keeping the uh, the morale high, at least to a point where these guys can go out and play. So um, he he started uh, this press conference today by talking about how the energy at practice was. Yeah, guys are continuing to come in here and work and, and have good practices. Um, you know, yesterday, first day back after the Michigan game, I, I loved our energy. Uh, you know, we had a good film session, had another good film session today uh, leading into the game tomorrow. So, you know, our guys continue to come in and prepare the right way. And that's, again, that's that's all I can ask of them at this point is continue to go out here, continue uh, to try to get better to grow in the areas where we need to be better and uh, hopefully apply that in the game. Now, you know, we're facing, uh, you know, a, a team that's going to, play I think as hard as any that we've played against uh, to this point it's you know a team that forces turnovers they block shots they're number one in forcing turnovers at 15 steals against Indiana uh, they're number two in block shots uh, so we have to do a great job of taking care of the basketball but as far as preparation goes and guys coming in and working uh, I'm, I'm very pleased uh, with the mentality of our team we talk a lot about these guys competing in games but you know it's another to have to do it in practice too mm-hmm. so you know you, it's not just a switch. You can turn on when the lights come on, and then you, and then you, you know, play well or play hard for 40 minutes. You you have to do it during practice too, when 
there isn't people in the stands and you got to kind of find your own energy so it can be tough to do something ben that i think is so much better than games in november is the body language of our players even the guys that aren't in the game they're more into it boy some of those early games with riverside and southern utah you could just tell they they when they lost it they lost it i have not seen that in recent weeks that's a credit to Coach Hoiberg, the staff, and, and the players, there's been some maturity that's taken place with that team. There has, and that you know tends to lead into the next topic, which is um, response following losses. Has it surprised him, Coach Hoiberg, how re- well the team responds following losses? I don't think so, I, you know, because, again, you look at the games that were playing. You know, I had a great chance to win that game at Rutgers, which not many teams have done. Uh, you come back, you have a lead, um, you know, under 12 minutes or at the 12-minute mark uh, against a very good Michigan team. And, you know, we continue to go out there and compete. You know, we just have to eliminate the dry spells and the stretches that, uh, you know, where the ball's not going in the basket and making sure we take care of it and get quality possessions while still uh, guarding on the other end of the floor. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, uh, am I surprised by it? No, I, I, I've loved the mentality of this group, and you know they've, they've been a lot of fun to coach. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to imagine that would certainly help. Um, you know, the the attitude of the coaches coming in when we've got a team willing to listen to you and um, you know provide energy, it makes your job a lot easier. What about the necessity to compete, especially in times like this in a league like this? You know, I've talked about it all year is, you know, you only have a certain number of times to go out on the floor and compete uh, together as a group. And uh, you have to savor it. You have to, uh, you know, take advantage of the opportunity to go out there and and do what you love to do uh, in a game setting. Practices, you know, that's not any fun. You know, you you work, you try to prepare and you get to go out and hopefully enjoy the process of competing with your teammates. It's what they'll remember uh, for the rest of their lives. I certainly remember the moments that, you know, I shared with my teammates on the floor. Uh, so, you know, for, for them uh, to go out there, we have 10 more opportunities in the regular season and in the conference tournament. So, uh, you know, it's, it's gone fast. I'll say that. You know, we've played 10 games. We've had some really good moments. And, you know, we've had some, obviously, that uh, uh, we need to be better. So, you know, just hopefully continuing to take steps in the right direction. We've got a lot of young players, uh, you know, that will be part of this program for many years uh, and all about developing the right habits. To me, I think the biggest lesson of – this season and even the players that aren't playing in, in, in the games right now, those, those three sit-outs, I think the biggest thing is that you have to take into next year's consistency. You know, how you have to be the same no matter who you play, night in, night out. You mentioned some of those games, the North Dakota game, the, the, the Riverside game. You know, those you, you have to be consistent or yep. you will get beat. Um, Coach Hoiberg talked a little bit about the consistency aspect of the team right now. Well, you know, the thing I talk about, you know, I've talked about it all year is, you know, you only have a certain number of times to go out on the floor and compete uh, together as a group. And uh, you have to savor it. You have to, uh, you know, take advantage of the opportunity to go out there and and do what you love to do uh, in a game setting. Practices, you know, that's not any fun. You know, you you work, you try to prepare, and you get to go out and hopefully enjoy the process of competing with your teammates. It's what they'll remember uh, for the rest of their lives. I certainly remember the moments that, you know, I shared with my teammates on the floor. Uh, so, you know, for, for them uh, to go out there, we have 10 more opportunities in the regular season and in the conference tournament. So, uh, you know, it's, it's gone fast. I'll say that. You know, you've, we've played 10 games. We've had some really good moments. And, you know, we've had some, obviously, that uh, uh, we need to be better. So, 
you know, just hopefully continuing to take steps in the right direction. We've got a lot of young players, uh, you know, that'll be part of this program for many years uh, and all about developing the right habits. Yeah, it's very well said by coach. Um, developing the right habits right there at the end, I think, is the is the important thing. It's sounds like a boring statement, but, you know, any great player that's been through in, an age, in, a, in a major sport has that. And you, and you have to develop that if you don't have it. And this was this was a ground zero rebuild the entire year. All new players, new staff. You had to establish what you are going to be, what's important to this team, what this team will hang its hat on to be a winner. Hopefully this year, next year, and the following year. So this this was this was a, the reset year that we knew it was going to be. And I I told Coach Lutz when he was the other night. They're further ahead than I thought they'd be. They're better now than I thought they were going to be when I watched them a few times in November. No question. Well, one member of the team that's been providing a lot for Nebraska offensively and is starting to grow into this college basketball thing and will have a huge challenge once again against Penn State is Kevin Cross. Coach Weyberg talked about the freshman from Arkansas. Yeah, Kevin, you know, I think you saw how open and flowing our offense was uh, the other night against Michigan when Kevin was popping out and taking Teske uh, away from the basket. Penn State does a great job. They, they rotate uh, to the shooters. Um, you know, it's a, it's a defense that we haven't seen. And, you know, you go through it in practice and, you know, hopefully you go out and attack it the way uh, that we need to. But, uh, you know, Kevin draws a lot of attention out there. And, you know, not only open up shots for Kevin when he can pull a guy uh, like Teske or, uh, you know, the two bigs that Penn State uh, has, but it also opens up the lane for our cutters and our slashers. And we did a really good job of that, especially in the first half, uh, of popping Kevin, uh, slashing the, the guys out of the corners and getting plays at the rim. Uh, you know, Kevin is, uh, you know, a guy that he forced the other team to switch their pick and roll coverage. And then once they started showing out on him, he did a good job getting in the pocket and rolling. And he's a very good playmaker uh, in there. Um, so, yeah, Kevin, he's been phenomenal through the last three games at 17 and 18 points, uh, knocking down shots, playing with a lot of confidence. If he can continue, I mean, not 17 and 18 a night's a little unrealistic, but if he can be, you know, consistent enough to where, you know, he's requiring teams to game plan around him and and have to do some different things defensively makes your team a little more multiple and and it just it helps it helps everybody out when he's playing that well remember after the huskers had played a couple of games and there were people that were saying this is a bad shooting team and you're kind of going wow they played twice how, how are you label them a bad shooting team you look at that right now thor is one of the best three-point shooters in the country cam mack has gotten on fire the last couple of games from three kevin's stroking history a little bit Man, all of a sudden this has turned into, I think, a very good shooting basketball team. Yeah, it certainly can be. Kevin is a guy that's shooting the ball well, as we said, but when he picked up his fourth foul against Michigan, that was a game changer yep. of uh, of how the, the flow of that game went. When he came out, you saw a call a rope from Omaha have to come in and guard somebody over a foot taller than him uh, and, and Teske. And a call has been a guy that has been working real hard during practice. Coach Hoiberg talked about the freshman from Omaha. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, you know, I, I've been really happy with how a call has uh, continued to get better throughout the season. And, uh, you know, the thing that I try to talk to any of our guys that are out of the rotation is always keep yourself ready. And uh, you never know when your name's going to be called. Uh, it happened the other night, and I thought he went out there and really battled for, you know, the two almost two minutes that he played. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're probably going to need stretches like that here uh, the rest of the way. So, you know, just continue to work in practice. The call's done a great job with that, and he's really grown as a player. And he's going to need to continue to grow. But I think, again, the understanding that this is, 
This is a process, and not everybody can be Charlie Easley and come in and just get minutes right away. Um, but I think he learns that, and Cole's a smart enough guy to understand that that this is a this is going to be a, a big process for him to get where he needs to be to compete at this level consistently. He met with the media before the coach went up today, and he's pretty upbeat. And he said he's had several conversations with coach in the last few weeks, kind of outline where he thinks he's going to be in a couple of years. And I think he's very optimistic. He's realistic of where he is right now and where he has to really develop and get stronger and bigger so that he can battle Big Ten bodies night in and night out. But when I watch the few times we've gotten him into games, he does things. He gets to the ball. He's rebounded pretty well in a few games. So I, I have hope that this is a guy in two years could really be a nice contributor for Husker basketball. He would be a guy maybe you could redshirt next year with Walker coming in and Banton coming in and uh, the junior college player who was a tech, Texas Christian for a while. Maybe you go to a call and say, let's set you out this year and let's let you grow, your, let your body grow a little bit. He's a great kid. I mean, he's a heady guy, very smart guy, and he he's one of those guys that gets it. Another guy that certainly gets it on the floor is Cam Mack, point guard. He's been he's been the straw that stirs it for Nebraska this year. And Coach Hoiberg addressed his point guard today too. Yeah, Cam's been he's been phenomenal, and <clears throat> he just you look at his stats in league, and he's averaging almost nine assists per game. The way he's shooting the basketball now, he's got himself almost up to forty percent uh, from the three point line. That's an area he need, he knew he needed to get better, and he did. Um, so you know he's kept us in games in, in a lot of them just by his playmaking and, and his ability to knock down shots. Something to watch. I mean, he's he can do a lot of different things, and he's one of those guys that you try and prepare for, but to get him out there on the floor and just stop him is pretty difficult to do. So I told Coach Lutz the other night, everybody talks about his speed and quickness. I think his vision's unbelievable. He knows where to put a ball on an angle to get around at a defender, to get it to his teammate, and you better be ready if yeah. you're a teammate or he's going to pop you in the nose of the pass. Or it's going to be sailing right out of bounds for a turnover. Well, the, the key game plan uh, for Penn State against Penn State is going to be in, starting with and ending with Lamar Stevens, a guy been around the league for a long time. Uh, Coach Hoiberg addressed the first team all Big Ten player that Nebraska is going to have to try and slow down on Saturday. Yeah, he's uh, Lamar Stevens, is, he's, he's a load. He's a guy that can score. Um, as a facilitator in the break, he's you know as explosive getting to the rim as anybody in our league. Uh, he's got great strength in size. Um, you know they ISO him on that left side of the floor, and you know he's got a, a array of moves, uh, and he can knock down the three-point shot. So he's uh, yeah, he, he's a guy that you lose sleep over trying to figure out how you're going to guard him. <laughs> Just does he's so multiple, and he's hurt Nebraska in multiple different ways, and he's become a good shooter, which he hasn't necessarily been throughout his career, but. Obviously a big challenge for Nebraska. On Came Saturday. in there with Carr, who left a couple years ago, but he stayed to finish out his career. Pat Chambers with Reeves and then Stevens and Carr and Watkins. He's he's done a nice job building that program up. And I'm, I'm a little surprised Stevens is still there. I thought maybe he would be off and playing pro ball by now. But give him credit, and he's being rewarded with a really good senior year. Yeah, we'll finish up here with, uh, with this last one uh, about Deshaun Burke and a guy that at times has been scoring for Nebraska. Of course, he had the big game against Indiana and Bloomington where he had 25, including the game-tying three at the last second to go to overtime. Going through a bit of a rough patch right now, at least on the offensive end of the floor. Coach Hoiberg talked about Deshaun and maybe getting through a little bit of a slump. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing that gets you through a slump is just continuing to get in and get reps. And Deshaun does that. He's uh, he's always a guy that's getting in before practice and getting up shots. Uh, he's a kid that'll come back at night uh, and, and shoot, just try to get in that rhythm. And, you know, he was phenomenal at Wisconsin. But, you know, I think of all 10 of his baskets were right at the rim. And, uh, you know, he had a couple of good looks, I thought, the other night. Uh, you know, human nature when, when you're going through a shooting slump is to try to get as close to the basket as you can, as opposed to continuing to trust and finish with a nice high release. And, you know, you, you see that. I've seen that out of a couple of our players. Uh, you know, so just going out there, continuing to shoot. You know, I look at a guy like Charlie Easley came in the day after the Rutgers game and for an hour uh, shot right corner threes for legitimately for an hour. He was out there on his own uh, shooting right corner threes. So, you know, just continuing to get in there and get your reps and, you know, hopefully in the game, it, it, you know, it's amazing what knocking down one of those can do for your confidence. You hope it just takes a couple of shots, a game, I don't know. But Nebraska needs DB back if if they're going to start winning some of these games. They need him to score. I mean, they, and they've always needed that all year. Yeah. He, he Well, I talked about guys who've kind of found their shot in Thor and Cam and Kevin Cross. Burke's the other side of that. He's gone back the other way. And he's such a good – he can attack the basket. He can hurt teams in so many different ways. You're right. Nebraska needs him to get going. Maybe tomorrow night is when he gets fired up. The man from the NFL Network, Ian Rappaport, joins us each and every Friday night down in Miami right now. So Ian Rappaport joins us now in our Woodhouse Auto Family Hotline. Ian, I know there's a lot that goes into this week and the Super Bowl week. There's a lot of things happening. Give us an idea of what happens during this week with all the hoopla around the Super Bowl. Yeah, you know, you never quite you never quite know what one of these weeks is going to be like. So much uncertainty and uh, how it's going to lay out. But, you know, it's been a really good, very, very busy week. I mean, you always see, you know, a ton of former players kind of flocking to the town where, um, you know, the Super Bowl is in. But I think because it's Miami, because a lot of people live here, a lot of players live here, and a lot of players want to live here, um, it has been just jam-packed with, uh, with players and celebrities and, and parties and, um, you know, it's interesting when it's in a bigger city because, you know, you walk three blocks and everything looks normal. Um, but I'm on South Beach, and, you know, there really has been a pretty good buzz um, about the Super Bowl. How have – I mean, let's just start with, with Kansas City. How have they kind of taken this week? It's been 50 years since they've been a part of one of these. They've only had two players on the roster that have even played in a Super Bowl. Andy Reid's coached in one. But other than that – it's been it's it's all new for these players. How have they kind of embraced that everything that this week has to offer? Yeah, I mean, I think they've done a really good job of um, not shying away from it. I guess I don't really you never know what the right way to do it is, right? But I mean, Andy Reid. Let's talk about him for a second. You know, he has been um, he the storyline of him about whether or not he's going to win the big one is certainly something that has dominated the week, and a lot of times you know, that can cause someone to kind of be insular. I think he's been the opposite. He's been funny. He's been affable. He's really been sort of uh, embracing all of this. Um, you know, so it's it's really cool to see him kind of walk right into the spotlight. And then I think for the other guys, I mean, the public, the world is learning about some new players. You know, Honey Badger. I mean, Patrick Mahomes we know, but people are getting to know him a little bit better. Um, you know, guys like Chris Jones. I mean, some of these stars on this team – are getting much more publicity than they've ever gotten. And it's a really cool thing to see, really. Yeah, and then you go to the other sideline, and the 49ers organization is no stranger to Super Bowls with Montana and Jerry Rice and Steve Young and, you know, even as recently as Colin Kaepernick. From, from their camp, they've probably, you know, 
act like you've been there before. What what have they been like, and specifically Coach Shanahan being so new to this to this process and how he's embraced it? Well, I mean, you know, he's been uh, he's a fiery dude, and it sounds like he's been pretty tense. Um, I know it means a lot. I know. You know, players, it means a lot for these players. And I think the 49er players have handled it well. But it is clear the um, the gravity this moment has. You know, it is clear how much it means to these guys. I mean, I would think it's fair to say, you know, Kyle Shanahan's been a little bit on edge this week, uh, which is okay. I mean, it's a big game, you know. And then think for the, the rest of the 49ers organization. I mean, you know, for years they were – went from the hardball to really laughable to, you know, Jim Tom Sula and then, you know, Chip Kelly. And it was really bad. And the way that they've remade themselves and become almost the model of an NFL franchise uh, is really an incredible thing. And I think that's the thing that stands out to me uh, about the 49ers this week. Ian, there's obviously a lot of media responsibilities this week for both, for both teams, but in terms of just normalcy and, and preparation, What's what's the structure of a week like practicing away from home and getting ready for a Super Bowl in a, in a foreign place? You know, play some places that you've never even played before. Well, um, it, it, it's challenging to to jump in here to get everything laid out to figure out where you're going to practice. I mean, there was a situation earlier in the week where you know, actually even before the 49ers got here, where they realized that the field uh, was unsuitable to be played on, um, and I think that was something where. Um, you know, they, it got pretty serious. I think the, the, the 49ers practice facility, University of Miami, was not something where they felt was safe. They ended up getting the field replaced. But had that not happened, they would have had to move and probably go to FIU or FLU or something like that. Um, and that's just where they practice, you know. So, like, getting the logistics handled and getting it back to normal is, is important. And that's why, you know, a lot of these teams, when I, both the teams this week did it, you know, you put in your game plan before, and then when you get here, you're really just fine-tuning because it's just a logistical nightmare to get everything done this week. Ian, before we talk about the actual game, you know, this is really the first Super Bowl I've been alive in that, that my team's playing in, so this week has meant a lot to me. But just so for the first time in my life, I'm not just a, you know, just a bystander, just a fan. But as a fan, right. what, what do they feel like with this matchup in particular with San Francisco and Kansas City? Well, I mean, you know, all of the um, all of the on-field matchups to me. I mean, there's a lot of things that are interesting, but it all starts with Mahomes, right? Like, it all starts with how can you stop Patrick Mahomes and how great is he? And you know, look, I mean, if the, if the game is on the line, there's any time left. And Mahomes has the ball; like he's going to win. I mean, that's the level of confidence you have. And um, how how does this vaunted 49ers defense stop him? You know, like, how does that actually happen? Um, and, and I think that's, you know, that's a real big concern. And then the other thing is, let's say the Chiefs are able to have this quick strike offense. I mean, they're basically a track team. So let's say they have this quick strike offense. Well, okay, but then does that mean that their defense is going to be on the field the whole game because the 49ers are going to run the ball a lot? So that sort of balance of, like, scoring fast and then knowing that the Chiefs' defense is going to be on the field a lot trying to, you know, buckle the chin straps tight and stop the run. That's a really tough balance. No question. And then uh, I mean, we kind of you know? broke it down pretty good right there. But I think to me the X factor in this game is, is Kansas City's front seven against San Francisco's running game. Nobody's been able to stop San Francisco and that outside zone and, and Matt Breida and 
uh, Tevin Coleman, and of course, Raheem Mostert. How, how do you anticipate this battle going on Sunday? I think the main thing to me is who actually is the, the guy that emerges. I mean, Raheem Mostert did it last week. But just because he did it last week doesn't mean he's going to do it this week. I mean, I feel like with the 49ers running backs, it's kind of like the Patriots in that it could literally be anyone at any week. You know, so um, who actually emerges? And then, you know, the, all week we've heard about um, Jimmy Garoppolo and, you know, is he good enough to, to kind of step in if they need him and can he carry the load a little bit off? And I wonder if they sort of react to that in a game plan. Like, do they say, yeah, Jimmy's good, like, and we're going to show you. Do they let him throw a little more than maybe he would, or do they just say, look, you can't stop the run, so we're just going to keep running because you can't stop us. Yeah, definitely going to be interesting to see how that chess match goes. Saw it a little bit last week with Tennessee and Mike Vrabel, um, you know, with Derrick Henry as well, coming out throwing a little bit. All right, Ian, before we let you go, uh, we're going to talk about a story that's not Super Bowl-related, the cryptic tweet that Tom Brady put out. Saw your tweet and reaction to this. Had the sports world in a frenzy. What do you take from it? Yeah, I mean, it didn't mean anything. Uh, that's the first thing. But <laughs> I hate to say it, but I think we need to get used to this because, you know, Tom Brady uses social media now. He's got Instagram. He's got Twitter. He's not bad at it. He's got a whole team of people. So, you know, we're going to see him kind of lean into this intrigue a little bit. And I think it all helps him. I mean, if people think realistically that he could ever – leave New England, that helps his leverage, right? And he needs leverage because he is a 42-year-old quarterback. He didn't play great last year, certainly not by his standards. You know, getting the interest level up, getting everyone to talk about him is, you know, something that I think really benefits, I think really benefits him in his free agency. And, you know, he's never really minded being in the spotlight. I don't think that's something that he fears. So, we may get a little more of this before we're done, but as far as just the actual individual tweet, it did not really mean anything. <laughs> yeah, uh, there definitely got a lot of people's attention. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right, Ian, before we let you go, how's it going to go? Who you like? Uh, to me, uh, it, I lean Chiefs. Um, I think both teams are really well-rounded. Both teams are healthy. You know, there's nothing in this game that I wish I knew about because everyone's going to play, and uh, – I think the actual game is going to be, you know, really, really good. But I think it boils down to one team has Patrick Mahomes and one team does not. I will go with the team that does. I think it will be a high-scoring game, but um, I think in the end the Chiefs kind of end up eking it out. I hope you're right. Air high five to you, and uh, I hope I hope yeah, that for, for the same result. Ian, thanks so much for joining us, man. I know it's a crazy week down there at Super Bowl week in Miami. Thanks so much for carving a few minutes for us. Enjoy the game on Sunday, man. You enjoy the game as well. Um, it should be it should be a fun one. Sure hope so. Ian Rapport, the NFL Network. Quick Super Bowl picks. I've got a 30-27 Niners. Uh, pick a Niners. Niners by three. Yeah, give me the Niners uh, by a couple touchdowns. I'm still. <laughs> I'm still picking the Niners because I've picked against the Chiefs the entire playoffs, and I'm not going to switch now. I'll say 35-31 San Francisco. Give me a score, Tim. You can't just get off by saying by a couple touchdowns. All right. Uh, let's do 28 to 14. All right. Okay. Patrick Mahomes has never scored less than 24 points in an NFL <laughs> game. I will point that out to you. All right. That's our show for tonight. Back with a full show on Monday, including our men's basketball show with the head coach. Have a great weekend.